You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. You have your Bibles, you can open them up with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, we'll be looking at a very familiar passage, a few verses this morning, but uh, just I want to give a little introduction before I join you there. I want to take the opportunity this morning to give a little bit of a prophecy update. And this will serve as a kind of an introduction and some of the things that I want to share from the passage. But I think it's important for us to kind of keep our eyes on current events and keep our eyes on things that we perceive in the Scriptures prophetically. And, you know, where are we? Is the Lord moving the clock closer to the return of Christ? And we know that He is, but I think we can see some very specific things. And I'm going to put something up on the overhead. I've got three areas that I just want to remind you of. And this won't be an in-depth end-time study. This will be just a quick kind of refresher on some things that are currently in the news that I think you should keep your eyes on. First of all, something new and pretty significant. I think most of you know that on December 6th, our President uh, Trump acknowledged Jerusalem as Israel's capital. Now, that's a pretty significant thing, right? Amen. Since Israel has been regathered and birthed in 1948, this is the first nation to actually acknowledge Israel as having its capital in Jerusalem. So this is a significant, and it's not just any nation. It's kind of a world superpower. Something's happening. that We should take notice of that as if God is saying something through even the current news that, hey, Jerusalem is on the map. Now, it's biblically significant because we know so much of God's plan and purpose has been anchored in Jerusalem. It's the only city where the Bible says that God declares, I have put my name there at this city. I have put my name forever in Jerusalem. God has attached His own name. That city is His. And the people of Israel, the Jewish people, are the only people that God has said, these are my people. Now, we know that we are been grafted in as believers in Christ, and we have become the church, the bride of Christ. But God still has special purpose and special significance in the world through the nation of Israel. So something like this is worth noting, and I'm glad that we as a nation are saying today what the Bible has always said, Jerusalem is God's and Israel are His people. And they, 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 He gave them that land and He gave them Jerusalem as their capital, and He has placed His name there. So it's good when, as a nation, we're aligned biblically with what God is saying about the Holy Land. But it's also, I think, prophetically significant because we won't take the time to look. You can do your own research. Zechariah chapter 12, the first few verses, and it's, it's in the context of the latter days, end time type of prophecy. God says about Jerusalem that He's going to make it very significant in the latter days, just as a city. He said, I'm going to make, cause it to be a, a cup of drunkenness to the nations. It's going to become a heavy stone to the, to the nations around it. In, in other words, God is saying Jerusalem is going to become contentious in the world. And everyone who moves it, everyone's going to want to be, in, everyone's going to be interested. And we see today there is almost an obsession 
with Jerusalem and the, the dividing of Jerusalem and, and just with Trump's declaration, you know, this world power saying Jerusalem is Israel's capital. What have you seen? I mean, the UN is losing their mind. They're, they can't, you know, they're just immediately denouncing it. No, no. And all of this reaction in the world, that is exactly what God declared concerning Jerusalem in the latter days, that he would make it such a troublesome, stirring kind of a city. And that's exactly what you're seeing. So that is prophetically significant that we are seeing something described in prophecy happening before our eyes. Where will it lead? What will it lead to? We're going to stay tuned. But it's as if God is saying, hey, wake up, radar, alert, I'm moving in the Middle East. I'm moving prophetically on the clock and calendar. Stay tuned. Second thing I would just remind you of is the conflict in Syria. That's been in our news now for, you know, years. But it's still important to keep your eye there because in Isaiah chapter 17, there is a prophecy concerning Damascus. Damascus is the capital of Syria, and that's a lot of where the civil war is actually being waged. It says in Isaiah 17 that God is going to cause Damascus to become leveled to the ground, not even inhabitable by people. We've not ever seen that in history. That hasn't been yet fulfilled. Damascus has never come to that kind of ruin. And so with all of this conflict in Syria, Damascus as the capital, that's worth keeping an eye on, just keeping your spiritual kind of prophetic radar alert. Thirdly, finally, Russia, Iran, and Turkey. These are three nations that have currently aligned themselves politically and kind of nationally. And this is, this is new. We haven't seen these three nations come together in such unity in history. But the Bible says in Ezekiel 38 and 39 that in the latter days when Israel is back in their, her land, I am going to, there's going to be a battle and there's going to be a certain, amount, a certain number of nations that align themselves together to come and move against Israel. And those nations are specifically named. They're named by their ancient people groups, not by our current names. But they relate to the three most significant players in the list in Ezekiel's prophecy are Russia, Iran, and Turkey. Isn't it interesting that Russia is now very steeped in the Middle East? They are there militarily in the Middle East in Syria. They are aligned with who? Very closely with Iran. Those two have been standing almost shoulder to shoulder. And now, most recently, Turkey. We've seen the political climate change in Turkey, and they have now aligned themselves as well. They used to be much more favorable to the West and part of NATO now. A turn is happening, and we see these three nations kind of aligning together. That's just something to keep on the radar. Those are the very nations that Ezekiel said in the latter days, they will come and they will make a military assault against Israel. They're going to lose. They're going to, God himself is going to intervene and be glorified. It's going to be an opportunity for him to establish his uh, glory over the land and to announce to the world that he is the God of Israel. And so we look for that. There are other nations that will be a part of that group, but these three are significant and they are all there now aligned and in place. So we must notice these things. Now, the reason I wanted to kind of bring some of that to your heart here is kind of an introduction to our text 
is I, I feel like it's important for us to keep these things current for a couple of reasons. One, it should, it should affirm your confidence in the Bible. There isn't any other book written thousands of years ago that could call out these kinds of details that we're seeing in our current news headlines. The Bible is true. What God has prophesied and predicted, it's going to take place. And the very things that the Bible prophesied concerning Christ's first coming were fulfilled literally and accomplished. Guess what? Everything that the Bible has declared concerning His second coming is going to be fulfilled literally and accomplished as well. We can stand with confidence today. The Bible is true. Not only prophetically what we see in the nations, but take it personally. God's Word is true to me. What God has accomplished for me and Jesus, the promises that God has for my life. God's Word is something I can build my life on. It's a rock. It's a foundation. It's true. And these things simply give evidence to that. And the other thing that I would say as an application as we look at prophecy is that it should, I hope, create a sense of urgency, a certain expectation. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming again. Everything that God has called for is happening in our lives. We're living on the edge of history. We're living at a very exciting time, and, and it's not a time to be kind of distracted. It's a time to live for the Lord. It's a, 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 this expectation, this, this soberness, this alertness. This is the time to be thinking about, God, be glorified in our lives. Be glorified in our church. These are the last days. We're seeing the signs, and God, we want to be faithful in our generation. So I hope that as we look at these things, it'll kind of give you a little sense of how to take this new year. Let's make this year, you know, count for the Lord. Well, Lord, what would you have for us in 2018? Let's look and run our race faithfully. With that in mind, take a look at Hebrews 12. Again, a common, uh, familiar passage, but I want to put it into some thoughts for us today. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 out of Hebrews 12. And today I'm reading out of the NIV, the New International Version, because there are certain phrasing that I really like the NIV's treatment in this passage. Verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning, the sh scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Again, a familiar passage. We've looked at it even recently on our Wednesday night studies. But a few things that I want to point out to you today, and again, with the idea of moving forward in a new year. The first thing we notice is the writer says, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, he's, of course, referring to those that he's just spoken of in chapter 11. There's this heroes of faith list in chapter 11, those that men and women that have lived by faith. 
And the writer says, now, we have such a great example of those that have lived by faith. Let's also run our race of faith. And here's how we should do it. First of all, we notice, number one, there are some things to be thrown off. Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I like that phrasing, throw it off. I think the New King James says, lay aside. That's just too polite, lay it aside. No, throw it off. Get rid of it. Remember in Acts chapter 19 when some of the magicians of the day were getting saved? What did they do? They brought their books and they burned them. They didn't resell them on eBay. They didn't look to just kind of lay them aside. They threw They burned them up. Some of these things, we just need to, you know, like Joseph, he just fled away from that temptation of Potiphar's wife. Throw off some of this stuff. Everything that hinders. Now, not everything that hinders is necessarily sinful. He talks about that too. But some things that are marginal are hindering you in your running of the race. When you run a race, you know, you're not looking for things to bog you down. You're trying to get light. You're trying to get ready for the, for the race. You want to compete. And so that's the analogy. That's the imagery. Look, in the same way that you would dress a certain way to compete in a race, so spiritually dress yourself. And some things need to be thrown off. I'm not going to give you a list. I think the Holy Spirit can adequately speak to our hearts if we say, Lord, are there things in my life that you need to help me throw off? You know, maybe you look back on this past year and you just say, Lord, how am I running? (laughs) You know, you love me and I love you and I'm so glad to be in fellowship with you. But Lord, how am I doing on my race? Are there some things that are kind of dragging me down? Maybe there's some, maybe it's just as practical as time management. I know for me, these are the things I'm praying through. Lord, I want to be a a better steward of just my time. Because, you know, I can waste time. How about you? I can get get distracted, and and I think I'm busy, but when I'm done, it's like I didn't get anything done, you know? It's kind of like it's a hindrance if I'm not careful. I know that the Bible talks about idols in our life, and we we don't imagine that we have any idols. We're not bowing down to any statues or anything like that, but some things can become a distraction, an idol of the heart. It can be money. It can be entertainment. It can be personal comfort. I'm praying about taking a trip to India. You know, we have some missionaries that we work with there. And I've been over there a number of years. I've been traveling there for maybe the last 15 years, and we've got some good relationships there. But a new opportunity has come to us. I announced this some weeks back. We have an opportunity to partner with some other churches in starting a Bible college there. And one of the guys that we've been, young men we've been working with who's graduated from the Calvary Chapel Bible College, uh, there's a good chance that he's going to be serving there. And I want to just go there and get him plugged in. I want to see the campus. I want to partner with this work. And I feel like I need to go and just, you know, walk the land with them. The school's going to open up in January. But can I just be honest? Traveling to India for me, that's a hard trip. And so there's this personal comfort that, oh, who can I send? Who else can go over there? 30 hours of flying, the time difference, you know, just the, you know, as I'm getting older, I'm getting a lot less, you know, open to being uncomfortable. And so just little things like that, Lord, I I can't let that bog me down. 
You know, I'm not that old. Let me get, let's get going here. Let's do this. Let's see what the Lord has. These are the kinds of things that I think all of us can, you know, Lord, I want to run this race without distraction. You know, something else that can sometimes bog you down is condemnation of the past. You know, you got to, you want to be, and we're turning the year. Listen, don't carry guilt and shame any farther. Lay it down. We're going to celebrate the communion table here later. You know, we're celebrating what Christ has done for us at the cross. He paid the price for our sin. We read it this morning. We're a new creation in Christ. I can remember a time in my life where I was plagued with guilt and shame of past things and feeling unworthy and not open to ministry. And and it was like a weight. It, it, It bogged me down. In fact, in a time of prayer with my pastor years ago, he said, you know, as we were praying, I had this visual image of you. And I hadn't told him all my details of what I was, you know, praying through and struggling with. He said, you know, I saw you like a man with a, with a ball and chain attached to you. And you're moving, but you're carrying this weight. And whatever that is, you just need to let it go. You need to be set free from that. And it did set me free. I realized that, you know, guilt and shame, condemnation of the past was, was hindering my ability to run the race. Maybe there's some things that you just need to put behind you today and allow the Lord to truly set you free. And don't carry it any farther. Don't carry it into the new year. Throw it off. Maybe it's a relationship. I've seen this over the years. I've seen this even in my own life where through my Christian journey, as I felt the Lord calling me to draw closer to Him, to commit more of my life to Him. You know, it's a growing process. I realized that some of the friendships, some of the relationships, they weren't going in the same direction as me. They weren't headed in the same place that I was feeling God calling me. And it wasn't like I I had to cut them off or in any kind of a, you know, judgment way. But I just realized, you know, this relationship... (laughs) It's not going to go where, I'm, where God's calling me. And just by the kind of the different paths that we were on, those relationships had to change over time. You know, maybe you've got some, just some relationships you need to think through. Sometimes it can even be a romantic relationship that's just not in the Lord. And I've seen people get bogged down. I've seen good Christians lose their focus, lose their way, because now they've got this other priority in their life. Relationships are, are, are needed. Relationships are important, including ministering to unsaved and loving. But don't let a relationship distract you or hinder you from what God is calling you to do in terms of running your race. But it's not just these things that hinder. He does say specifically sin that so easily entangles. Some things are not necessarily sinful, but they hinder. Some things are just plain sinful, and they got to go. You said you can't nurture some secret sin. You can't have some private thing going on in your life and expect to run well. It's going to entangle you. In fact, the writer says it so easily entangles you. That's the deception with some sins. We think we can manage them. We don't think that they'll actually slow us down much. We think that we can balance it in our lives. 
but the Scripture warns these things easily entangle you. How many of you found out sin just won't stay in its place? It always wants a little more. It always takes a little more. And pretty soon it's an entanglement, it's an ensnarement, it's a trap, it's a bondage. The Scripture is warning us, don't try to run your race and nurture and take your sin with you. A passage out of Romans 13 that I want to put up on the overhead for you. And again, this has a real kind of a strong New Year's kind of uh, thought to it. Romans 13, verse 11. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. Well, that's true. And as we looked at this kind of the end time prophecies being fulfilled, our salvation is closer. And we need to recognize that the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. Now, I've underlined that for, for a reason, and I'm going to talk about that because I really sense the Lord wanting us to talk about that. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. This sounds a lot like the passage in Hebrews, throw off these things and run your race. Paul says in Romans, hey, it's time. It's time to, it's high time. Put off the darkness and walk and live in the light. These things will ensnare you. These things will hinder you. So clearly, back to our text, there's a a, strong instruction to throw some things off. But not only throwing things off, second thing, Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. You're not just allowing the Lord to change so that you can just stand still. God wants to get you ready to move. God wants to clear clear things up so that you can travel quickly, efficiently, accurately. God's getting you ready for a course that He has already marked out. Think about that. God has already marked out a course for you. Now, we don't know what's on the latter part of the course, but God does. And He's marked it out, and He wants you to start running it well. And it's going to have to be run with perseverance because it's a long race. It's a race for the rest of your life. This isn't a sprint. This isn't a try, you know, and then, phew, that's over. This is a journey that will take you every day of your life for the rest of your life until the Lord returns. Now, sometimes we, work, we wonder, <clears throat> Lord, what is the course or the, the race that's marked out for me? I do want to walk in the will of God. I, I do want to, it is high time. I, I want to get going, Lord, in my Christian walk with you. You've saved me. You've cleansed me from my sin. You've touched my life. You're moving in my heart. I want to get on course. Lord, what is my course? And I think that's a good prayer, and I think God will show you. But here's what I've discovered, that God doesn't show me the the next year's course. All He shows me is today's course. And I have found that if I'll be faithful here now, 
and I'll do that tomorrow, and the next day, guess where I'll be next year's New, New Year's Day? Right in the center of where He wants me. That's the key to running your race. It's already marked out. All you can do is run today well and do it faithfully right where you are. God will show you and open up new doors for you as you go. And listen, you all have something to run well with right now. If you're married, you have a marriage. Run well. Surely there's some work there. Surely there's some running that can be done well there. Uh, you know, at, at work. Surely you can, you can be an example there. You can be a witness there. You are there for a purpose. This is part of your course. I would say this, and, and again, just as a New Year's thought for you. What about functioning in the body of Christ? The Bible teaches us that when we were saved, that we became members of Jesus's family. And the, the Bible kind of uses the metaphor of a body, meaning you are part of this new organism called the church, and you are a part of that body. And the Bible says each part has its own part to play. You know, maybe, maybe you're a foot, and, and you have a job as a foot to do. Well, there's plenty of feet. I don't want to be a foot. I want to be a hand. The Bible says, no, you don't, don't try to be what you're not, and don't imagine that you're not needed. You know, sometimes we, we come to church, and I did this for years. We come, we go, and we just imagine that everything is being handled, and Somebody else is doing it anyway, and they don't need me, and I don't know if I have time. And, and it's just so easy to kind of just be a part of the body but not a, contribu a contributor to the body. I'm not saying this to put any guilt. This is a New Year's. This is an uplifting, looking forward, good things. But think, God, what's my part here? Maybe there is a place for you to serve. We, we put it in the bulletin. The, you know, these are opportunities. And I know that there's schedules. I know that you have families and jobs. Nobody, this is not something that you should be guilty, ridden with, or striving to do in your own flesh. But if you pray, I believe the Lord will show you, look, plug in here, take a step, try this, join the choir. Oh, no, I can't sing. Okay, well, help set up the sound. Oh, no, I can't lift. Okay, well, um, what can you do? Come and do that. You know, just figure out how the Lord might use you. The body does well when all members contribute its, its share. And there are opportunities to serve. Running your race well. What's marked out for you? Much of it is discovered as you are faithful right where you are. Finally, today, the third thing from our text, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. The way you run this race is by keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. And I, again, this is why I like the NIV for this passage. I love that expression, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Jesus has blazed the trail for us. We're not running in the dark. We're not running, you know, just our own race. We're following someone. We're following Jesus. That's what a disciple is. He's a follower of his teacher, of his master. We're following Christ. And so, how do I run my race? Look to Jesus. How did he run his race? 
Those are the secrets to doing well, but when you follow the one who pioneered the way, you're following in good footsteps, and God will, by His Spirit, give you the grace. God is with you in this journey. The Holy Spirit is, yeah, come on, let's go, let's do it. God is there to give the grace that you need to run this race. And He pioneered this for you and I to follow. And it says something that He did this for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Well, there's a little insight on, on the race. Jesus ran his race with something of joy set before him. He knew that his mission, coming to earth, redeeming men, would save men. That was the joy that was before him, the salvation of mankind the bride of Christ. He knew that what he was doing was preparing a way for you and I to have relationship with him. That was his joy, the approval and the opportunity to, to fulfill his call, his race, sent by the Father, anointed by the Holy Spirit, in himself deity, paying the price for sin. He is now seated at the right hand. And he awaits to come again. He awaits for that time when he will come for his bride. But that was the joy that he had set before him. And if we're going to run our race, there needs to be some joy out there. There needs to be this understanding that, you know, God is good. And God has blessing for me. God has something prepared and planned, not only in this life, but for eternity. Jesus is coming, church. And when he comes... It's going to be so glorious. You are going to be so glad to see him face to face. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what that day will be like? We get little glimpses of it in the book of Revelation when John sees the thousands and myriads of voices declaring worship. Can't you imagine yourself there? That's going to be a worship service. Those days are coming. That's a joy. This race, it's a blink. It's a vapor. Oh, but what God has planned, what God is calling us to, that should bring a joy in your heart. And he says that, the, the, the writer of Hebrews says, it was that joy that gave him his ability to endure the cross. There's going to be a cross. Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. There is going to be this personal sacrifice, the laying down of my own way, my old way, my, my plan. It, there is going to be a cross in following Jesus. We all follow him via the cross, and we all follow him laying down our own lives. The whole event of salvation is pictured in baptism, which is a burial, a burial of the old and coming alive in the new. So to follow Jesus we recognize that it's going to require newness of life being born in us by His Spirit and by His grace. But it says something very interesting in verse 3, and this is where I'll close. And, and I want to say this is, this is really the heart of what I felt the Holy Spirit impressing on me for us today. Verse 3, consider Him. Your eyes are fixed on Jesus. You're running your race Consider something about him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners 
so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is interesting. Jesus was opposed. Jesus was unfairly treated. Jesus was unjustly crucified. Jesus suffered greatly at the hand of sinners. And the writer here says, listen, you're following Jesus, but consider what he endured from opposition, lest you become weary and discouraged in your own souls. What's that mean? You're going to have opposition too. And this is, this is what I want to say. This is, I think this is the, maybe one of the most dangerous things for Christian living is carrying unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. Man, that will, that will weigh you down faster than anything. You can't run with that. You can't run with that. And I've seen so many that have, you know, in their Christian walk, they get hurt, and someone does something, someone offends. Usually it's somebody close. The closer they are, the more it hurts. Sometimes it's even family. Sometimes it's even church people, Christians. And then that wound just, just totally derails you from your course. I'm not going to that church. They hurt my feelings. I don't know. They call themselves Christians the way they talk to me. I'm never going there again. You know how it goes. I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay it. The truth is we do hurt each other's feelings. But this is critical now. And this is what I want to say to your heart. Don't carry that into the new year. Let it go. Give it up. Forgive. The power of forgiveness. This is where true freedom is. You know, sometimes people will come and they'll, they'll share their story with me, ask for prayer. Our pastors, myself, we're always wanting to pray and encourage you. And you know, sometimes they'll tell their story of how they've been hurt, what someone's done to them, and how things have happened. And I'll try to give, a, you know, usually some kind of biblical counsel. Well, you know, need to go, try to get, get it worked out. You need to forgive. And sometimes, not always, sometimes, oh, no, no, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't understand how badly this, this hurt me. You don't understand how this person, even today, doesn't even care. You don't know how, how I've tried and how you don't understand. You don't understand. People always think the pastor doesn't understand, as if pastors, all we do, we go home and we just hum worship songs and everybody just, we quote Bible verses all around the house all day. We do quote some Bible verses. My wife, my wife will say, hey, you're supposed to love me like Christ loved the church. I get that one once in a while. Listen, uh, chances are I do understand because I've been hurt. Listen, I've been hurt so deeply where it almost takes over your life. I'm so hurt. I'm so, I, I'm so discouraged. It, it's all I can think about. I've been in those seasons where for weeks, months, all I can think about is this trial, this offense. And I have to work that through. I, I can't carry that because it'll destroy me. It'll overtake me. It'll become a root of bitterness. I have got to forgive. God, help me to forgive. 
And that's the process. I find myself praying and asking God for that grace to forgive, to let it go. Many are entangled. Many are entangled with this unforgiveness, and it's slowing you down. It's crippling you. And you may need to to let it go. Listen, there's no time to waste. It's high time. Let it go. Ask the Lord to give you the grace to forgive. And here's the key. It doesn't matter whether I understand what you've gone through. I'm not the one asking you to forgive. Jesus is the one that's asking you to forgive. And what the writer of Hebrews is reminding us, he definitely understands what you're going through. That's the whole exhortation of verse 3. Consider him. You know what he went through. You know how unfairly he was treated. You know how he he was uh, betrayed by his closest friend. You know how all his disciples abandoned him in his moment of need. You know the mock trial, the spitting, the beard pulling, the beating, the crucifixion that he bore all unjustly. You know what he endured. What did he say in the final moments as he hung on the cross and he looked out on those that were mocking him and you know, uh, uh, blaspheming his name? What did he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The power of forgiveness, that's our pioneer. That's the perfecter of our faith. We've got to follow him. Not only are we recipients of his grace and free from the guilt and shame of our past sin, but we've got to walk in forgiveness. And the writer says, listen, think about him, lest what? Lest you, so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. This is what cripples many races. We grow weary, we lose heart because we get hurt and it keeps happening. And just when I get over this, then somebody else does that. Or just when I thought I was over it, here they are again. And God is asking us to walk in grace and forgiveness. The secret. I want to close here and take communion. The secret to being able to forgive is being reminded of the forgiveness that you've been given. Jesus said, freely you have received, now freely give. If you look at passages in the New Testament that talk about the command for forgiveness, it often reads like this. I'll just pull one of them out of Colossians 3.13. Forgive one another even as Christ forgave you so you also must do. Try to remember that you too are just a sinner and that people will hurt you, some of them, you know, intensely. But try to remember how Jesus loved you when you were a sinner. Even while you were still lost in your sins, Christ came and died on that cross for you. Haven't you been forgiven? Hasn't God been gracious and patient with you? Boy, he has been with me. I've got no right to shake somebody down and call them to account. My goodness, Jesus told that parable of the man who was forgiven so much, and then he went out and tried to exact some small amount from his own servant. 
The master came and said, you wicked, wicked servant, I forgave you that whole debt. We could hear it today, Jesus looking at our lives and saying, I forgave it all. I died on the cross for all of it. We're going to celebrate it here today. The blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin. Can you now go down and talk to your brother about something that, that's been done to you? Forgive. Pray for them. Pray for those that treat you poorly, the Bible says. Ask God to help. Ask God to give you the grace. Sometimes you've got to do it for a while, just be honest. Sometimes it takes days, weeks, maybe months for you to work through it. But don't you let it go to bitterness. Don't you carry it every day. Maybe you've got to put it at the altar. Lord, help me to forgive because you've been so gracious and forgiving to me. I just sense the Lord wanted us to have that in our hearts today as we turn the new year. Don't carry these things into the new year. Let's, let's put it at the altar. Let's come to the Lord's table. Let's settle these things today. The Lord loves us and has so much for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for this passage, a familiar passage. But I sense a special emphasis for our hearts today, God. And as we close today in prayer and communion, I, I just ask that, Lord, this would be a moment for all of us to kind of really reset our hearts. God, you've spoken to us from the Word. Anything, Lord, that, that needs to be touched in my heart, I just want to say, have your way. I give it to you. And maybe you're here today and and you want to respond to this, I'd, I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're here today and you've never received this mercy and grace from God. You've never really had your own sins forgiven, not known the joy of that, the love of that. But today you hear what God has for you. He loves you. Christ went to the cross for you. You're the joy that he endured it for, the joy of relationship with you, of forgiveness, of eternal life. If you want to receive Christ today, I want to pray for you. Maybe you're here today, you just need to recommit your heart. Maybe something in today's study just rang so true in your heart. Maybe you're carrying something. Maybe you're entangled in something. Maybe it's a bitterness, an unforgiveness, a hurt that you will not let go. And the Lord wants to set you free. Maybe you need to recommit your heart to him and throw these things off. So if you're here today, you want to receive Christ or you want to recommit, rededicate your heart, I would ask you right now just to raise your hand. Let me see you and I'll pray for you. God bless you. Number of hands. Men up front, center, the aisles. Number of hands on the aisles here, left and right, in the very back. Amen. On the left, my left. Amen. Amen. Number of hearts. Anyone else just before we pray? Raise your hand. Raise it high. Lord, for these hearts responding to you now in this moment, we believe that in you we have forgiveness of sin. 
that in you we have the grace and the power to live newness of life. I pray for each heart today, and if you raised your hand, just allow me to to voice this prayer for you. Just agree in your heart with me. Jesus, forgive me. I need your mercy and your grace today. I'm asking you to come into my life. I'm asking you to come and reset my heart. I want to walk in what you have for me. I want to run the race that you've already marked out for me. I want to follow you, Jesus. Cleanse me, forgive me, and Lord, enable me to be forgiving. Help me to put it down and help me to take up the call that you have on my life. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.